All right. Well, we're going to, like I said, start a couple weeks talking about spiritual warfare. And um, we, we spend a lot of time uh, at Gate City, we spend a lot of time talking about Jesus. And the reason why is because as we focus on Jesus and on the word, we're transformed into his image. And oftentimes, you know, people spend a lot of time thinking about the devil and the enemy, and, and what happens is they, they kind of get to this place where they make the devil bigger in their mind than Jesus, and the attacks of the enemy and everything going on and going wrong. And, and so we've made it a habit for, you know, 20 years to focus on Jesus, to focus on the Word, to focus on His testimony and who he is, and let him transform us and work in our lives. And, and, and I think that's a really, really important distinction in, in a powerful way that we should all live, primarily focused on the Lord. But there comes times when you've got to identify how the enemy tries to entrap and how he tries to snare and how he tries to attack us, and we got to call him out sometimes, and so that's what we're going to do the next couple of weeks is just sort of identify how the, how the enemy works and in certain ways to, to attack us, to oppress us, and to, to really try to get inroads into our lives and take the place the Lord is supposed to have. And so uh, we're going to take two weeks to talk about biblical spiritual warfare. I want to pray one more time for the spirit of revelation as we lean into this this morning. So Lord... I thank you for the spirit of revelation on the word. And I'm asking, open the eyes of our understanding. I pray that as truth breaks in, our hearts will become free. You promise that we shall know the truth and the truth shall set us free. So set us free even in revelation of your word today, next week, and, and in so many days ahead. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray, let me speak as your oracle. Stand here, hold my hand. Let me declare truth with grace. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. So I believe we need to be aware of the enemy's schemes. And this is what Paul taught us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 11. He said, lest Satan should take advantage of us, we are not ignorant of his devices. And I think that we can get into this place where we're ignorant of how the enemy's moving. And, and I think there's a couple ditches whenever you talk about spiritual warfare. There's the one ditch where uh, people make everything a demon. Like everything that happens. That was a demon. That was a spirit of heavy traffic that came on me. I was driving on 285. The spirit of heavy traffic, it fell. I was manifesting. And, and, and you can literally make it everything, right? And, and then on the other ditch, there's where you, you think everything has got a natural, you know, there's a, there's a natural reason for everything. And you don't actually, you actually forget that you have an adversary. You actually forget that Satan is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, 
and he doesn't take a day off. And so I don't tend to think things are only spiritual, and I don't tend to think things are only natural. I think you are a spiritual person having a very spiritual and natural experience. And so you are experiencing natural things and spiritual things all the time. There was a famous book years ago Frank Peretti wrote called This Present Darkness. How many ever read Frank Peretti's This Present Darkness? And, and you know, that, was, that became like normative for everybody to understand spiritual warfare uh, for about a decade because he showed in this book, it was, a, it was a fiction book based on the scripture, but he showed this, uh, these individuals' life and how they were living in their life and then what was going on in the spirit um, angelic and demonic activity that was impacting them. And so that's our situation, beloved. We are living uh, and experiencing things naturally and spiritually all the time. And there's angelic and demonic activity happening in our lives all the time. And so I think that what we want to do is not over-spiritualize it and not dismiss it, but we want to have a biblical understanding and be discerning and understand when the Lord's moving and when the enemy is attacking so that we can be aware and not be taken advantage of, which is what Paul said happens. And so um, let's be thoughtful and, and let's be courageous, and then as we get clarity, we'll learn to take the appropriate measures. Now, for some of you, you're old timers, you've been in the word and you've thought about this for 50 years, I would encourage you to try to listen this morning with fresh ears and next week. And for some of you, this is a completely new subject and I understand that. And so I'm going to try to be um, clear and explain things in a bit of detail just so that we can, we can get our, you know, our minds clear on, on how this actually works. All right, so when I, when I think about spiritual warfare, a lot of times I think about how I've seen it taught in um, churches for years, and a lot of times you get this, um, you get this picture of like, we're going to muscle up, we're going to get really strong, we're going to just cast the devil out of everything, and there's sort of this, this um, I don't know, ego and this hubris and this intensity, and I, and I think we should be intense spiritually. Um, but when we read the Bible, there is a prerequisite in spiritual warfare, and the prerequisite is humility and meekness. And so when Paul, um, in 2 Corinthians 10, when Paul talks about dealing with strongholds, which we'll break down specifically all that next week, but when he talks about strongholds, demonic encampments in people's minds, when he talks about how to address those, the first thing he says is how he submits himself to the meekness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.1, he says, I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in present am lowly among you, but being absent, I'm bold towards you. He's talking about how he goes, I'm, I'm a a, a, a meek person. I am a lowly person. I have weaknesses. And he says, I'm bold in my letters, but you guys know that personally, I'm just, he's like, I'm just a regular guy trusting in the Lord. And I think that this is a critical, critical thought. If we approach spiritual warfare and dealing with demonic, you know, thoughts and strongholds 
in an arrogance, we're actually going to go ahead and step out from under Jesus. And if you step out from under Jesus and try to fight the devil, I will tell you right now, the devil will win. Because we're not to be strong in ourselves, we're to be strong in the Lord. And that's what Paul taught in Ephesians 6, is the very first thing he says as he's getting ready to go through that passage on spiritual warfare. He says, be strong in the Lord. And, and, and the, the, the point about that is, to be strong in the Lord, you have to be weak in yourselves. You can't be strong in yourself and strong in the Lord. We don't just get to add Jesus onto us, right? We must decrease, he must increase. And so when we're talking about in spiritual warfare and dealing with uh, demonic things, it really has to be rooted firstly in the humility that says, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. This isn't up to me. I trust you. I trust your blood. I trust your power. I'm looking to your strength and not my own. Because if we think somehow that we're going to outthink or outsmart the devil, we're just wrong. It requires us to go low. Now, that might be completely opposite. You may have gone to the conference where they had army boots and army fatigues and we're getting fired up, you know, and we're going to do the warfare thing. But I would just, I would just say, let's just, let's just go with what the scripture talks about. We're going to come down so Jesus can be strong. And when Jesus is strong, the enemy is defeated. And that's how this works. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not zealous and passionate. Don't confuse meekness with being passive. Okay? Because we're a people that emphasize intimacy and the knowledge of God and receiving from the Holy Spirit, here's what I recognize. A lot of times, people that are in uh, circles like that, that are focused on receiving from the Lord... They are passive when it comes to the enemy's trespasses in their lives. And instead of learning how to resist, they just receive. And the next thing you know, what's going on in their brain is just the enemy is just having a track meet. He's just running, running around circles in their mind because they haven't learned how to oppose him. Am I making sense? So... The key for us is we've got to recognize that the strength is not our own, that we're going to be passionate and zealous in his strength, and that the victory is in the cross of Jesus by the power of his blood and not by our own means. And so as we, as we approach this idea, I, I want to get that really, really grounded in us. Now, in a second, I'm going to read from Ephesians 6. And Ephesians 6 is probably one of the clearest teachings in the New Testament about spiritual warfare. Paul goes into it in detail. Uh, but I want to make this point first, that when you read the book of Ephesians, Paul doesn't start with, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's not in chapter 1. It's in chapter 6. Now, 
Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, it had a massive demonic entity and a temple to worship that demonic, demonic entity ruling in that city. It was the historic temple of Diana. We would think of that, you know, as like the Babylonian harlot that's identified in Revelation 17 or Jezebel. We would think of it as this, this false goddess that is like, you know, doing perversion and all this stuff. Well, he doesn't address the, the church in Ephesus out of the gate talking about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, though it was probably their biggest issue. It was a city that was in intense demonic warfare. He starts off talking to them about who is Jesus. And then he starts talking to them about the love of God. And then he shares how do we walk out the love of God and live the cross of Christ. And how do we do it in unity. And when you, by the time you get to Ephesians 6, he's laid this foundation of revelation in the knowledge of God, revelation in the, in the cross, revelation in the love of God, and how we walk this out. In fact, before he starts talking about wrestling against uh, demonic powers, he spends 75 verses, hear me, 75 verses talking about how to make righteous decisions day in and day out. Here's what I realize. Much of spiritual warfare is taken care of in the revelation of Jesus, in the knowledge of his love, in the knowledge of the cross, and making righteous decisions. And that's why he gave us all that on the front end. And by Ephesians 6.10, now he's going to describe to us what's going on. All right, so let's pick it up here. Ephesians 6.10 says this, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's that dedication to meekness. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. Well, I remember years ago, my wife and I, we had gotten a hold of a teaching that talked about how to, how to use the armor of God. And we were like, yes, we want that. We want to do spiritual warfare. We want to use the whole armor of God. And, um, and so we, we, we had a, an hour-long uh, commute to our job. We worked together for the first year of our marriage. And we would pray in the car every day for an hour. And part of our prayer was praying this Ephesians 6 
armor of God. And the way that we had understood it was that the armor of God was a prayer that you prayed over yourself and you put on these actual pieces of armor in the spirit. And then if we prayed it the right way, we would be like, we would not be susceptible to spiritual attack. I mean, it's kind of makes sense. And, um, and we did this every single day. We could quote, I can quote you the whole armor of God right now without even looking at the passage. We rearranged it and put it on from top to bottom just because it made sense. We were going to, helmet, breastplate, belt, you know, shoes, sword, shield. But uh, I remember after doing this for a long period of time, it wasn't that, oh, it didn't work. I would say it probably worked and it had, it had power in us because we're, we're speaking the word over our lives every single day. I think that works. I think that's a good thing. Um, but then I remember shortly after that, we had children, and, and then they, at the Christian bookstore, they were selling the whole armor of God. Right? We bought that for our kids. We said, look, you're going to put the armor of God on. And they got the plastic helmet, the plastic shield, plastic sword. And, and you know, they're playing armor of God. They're fighting the good fight. And somewhere in there I went, I don't think Paul was talking about this. I just don't think it was a costume nor do I think it was just a prayer to pray over ourselves, though I think it's a good application. I don't think that's what he's talking about. And the more I study it, the more I look at it, I'm convinced of that now. But I would say this, that what Paul is doing, first, he's sitting in a, he's in a, he's in a Roman prison, likely. He's writing the book of Ephesians from a Roman prison. So he's staring at a Roman centurion guard who's, who's you know, guarding him every day. And um, he's looking at this guy's outfit, and he's thinking, you know what? That guy has got this armor on that protects him from physical attack. He goes, we've got armor that protects us from spiritual attack. So he's, he's making that connection. And so he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write about this. And this isn't the only place that he wrote about the armor of God. He actually wrote to the Thessalonians about it as well. But... Uh, what he does is he looks at this guy's armor and then he realizes there's ways that we live and there's promises that we've been given that work for us spiritually just like this armor works for him naturally. And so what he's describing is lifestyle choices and character choices and applications of our faith that enable us to overcome the actions of the enemy against us. Does that make sense? I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. And so this is the thing. If we recognize that Paul gives us this picture to help us to make choices and to utilize the spiritual promises that have been given to us, then when the attacks start coming, now we're equipped to fight them off. And so it, it I, I call it, I, I like to say, 
this, we're not spectators in Christianity. We want to engage in full contact Christianity. And, and what do I mean by that? What I mean is so often we get into this mode of hearing somebody else tell us the word, tell us their testimony, do the worship, and we're just watching someone else's Christian experience. But that's not Christianity. The most, <laughs> Christianity isn't mostly about you coming hearing me teaching you the word. Christianity is mostly about you and Jesus and how you live day in and day out and how you, how you access and apply the promises of Jesus in your life all day, every single day. Most of your Christianity has walked out from Sunday at 1 o'clock all the way until Sunday at 9.30. Or 9.50. Or 10.20, depending on what time you walk in the building. But, um, so I just, here's what I want to do. I want to take a few moments. I want to walk through each of these facets of the armor and get to what the truth is that Paul was emphasizing and try to give us how we can apply and utilize that to combat the enemy's attacks in our life. Now, I'm going to focus on our stuff this week, and next week I'm going to focus on how the enemy attacks. I'm going to talk about wiles and devices and darts and I think those are all different ways the enemy comes at us, okay? We'll talk about that next week. So he starts the passage and he says, all right, verse 14. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So when we're talking about spiritual warfare, we start with meekness, strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not our own. And then we move to truth. Now, in a, in a centurion's armor, that whole thing, everything was held together by that belt. So this is, this is Paul's foundational idea that you have to be anchored to truth in your life or none of this armor is going to be applicable for you. Okay? So truth becomes the issue. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I remember hearing a preacher years ago say, you will always be coming to greater measures of truth, therefore you will always be coming to greater measures of liberty and freedom. Nobody knows all the truth. We're always growing in truth, right? So we're always growing in liberty. Come on. I love that. But the, the key that I think Paul is emphasizing is our commitment to truth. Do we love truth? Are we committed to truth no matter how painful it is? You know, we, we like the idea of truth, but when truth is revealed to us and it's not what we already believe, that can be really painful. That can be embarrassing. It can be exposing. It can be angering, frustrated. I, I think about how many times in my life I was absolutely sure about something, 
only to find out I was absolutely wrong. I have this funny little saying that describes my processing, my mental processing of things. I'm never in doubt, often wrong. And that experience of when truth hits you in an area that you thought you knew, in that moment, you've got an opportunity. You can either fortify yourself in what you believe, what you think you believe, and act like you knew what you know is right and what that thing is is wrong, or you can humble yourself to truth and allow truth to cut you up. Because sometimes it will cut you up. And, and I just think this, the difference between somebody who stops growing as a Christian and somebody who grows all the way to the day they go and step over and see Jesus is their love of truth. There's something that happens to Christians. They think they got their hundred Bible verses down that they kind of know, and they think they kind of know everything. And because they've gotten introductory class number one down, which is your hundred Bible verses, I'm, this, is a, you know, this is not a real class, and these aren't real Bible verses, but this is how most Christians, I think, operate. They got a hundred Bible verses that they can, basically everybody can quote, greater is he, he's in the world. I mean, those kind of verses, great verses. But that's like introductory class one of our growth in God. And we think, we think we got all the truth because we've gotten to class one. And I'm telling you, there's so much more in him. And uh, I think there's just something so beautiful. And I, I've, I've met saints like this, 75, 80, 85 years old. And they're still leaning in to grow more in the knowledge of God and grow more in truth. Learning. At a, at a mature age. Because I just want you to get this, that no matter how much you lean into God in this age, he's infinite. And no matter how much you lean in and pursue God in this age, you are only ever scratching the surface on this side. There's so much more of him. And so our commitment to truth has to be lifelong, and it has to be even to the pain that when truth, when it exposes us, when it cuts us up, that we are just radically honest with ourselves, radically honest with others, and we receive truth no matter how difficult it is. Amen. Paul starts with that. Humility and truth. And where we have self-deception, guys, Where we have deception, the reason why he starts with truth is where we have deception, the enemy has access. Where there is deception, the enemy has access. So that's why he starts with truth. We've got to love truth. One of the things that we've done over the years, just in our leadership team, and it's not easy, but we've had these times where we've come together to pray and connect and grow together as a team, and we just talk about, hey, what do you see as my strengths, and what do you see as my weaknesses? And we've normalized, you know, going deep in that way where the ones that are closest to us are seeing our blind spots and then telling us what they are. <laughs> Got a good word and a that's good and no amens on that point. <laughs> because that's hard. 
Well, it's about loving truth. Some of you are like, yeah, I want to do that with a few people at my work. You know, that, that's not the point. The point is to love truth regardless of how it might make you feel. All right, I got to move on. So that's a big one, truth. Breastplate of righteousness. This is Matthew 5, 6. This is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. This is important. He goes, truth and going after righteousness. If you're, if you're, pers- if you're pursuing righteousness, you're going to be able to shake off so many of the attacks of the enemy. So when attacks of perversion and lust and all these kind of attacks come, because you're pursuing and hungering for righteousness, your breastplate of righteousness is going to repel those attacks. Does that make sense? When we're walking in compromise in our soul and in, in our ambition and our desire and we're lusting after the things of the world, guess what? Spiritual attack is, it's, I mean, you're ripe for spiritual attack. It's like going into a battle without a breastplate on. I can pick you off from 100 yards without a breastplate. It's the pursuit of righteousness, the lean towards righteousness, the hunger for righteousness. It's, it's looking at the things of the world and saying, I don't want that at all. And it's not that it's not alluring. Lust is alluring, but lust destroys. Just do the logic about it. If I give myself to lust and to the, to the lust of the flesh and the eyes, the end of that thing is destruction. So I want to I pursue righteousness. And sometimes, here's what happens with believers, is we get the basics down, and then we just get lazy. And we allow things into our lives to entertain us because we're being lazy, and we, make, we allow ourselves to be entertained by things that Jesus died to deliver us from. I'm convinced Jesus loves the Georgia Bulldogs. I don't mind watching a football game. Somebody said, well, you're worshiping that instead of God. No, I'm not. He's right there with me. He loves them. But he's not, I'm not sitting there getting entertainment from a sporting event that is in some way, you know, producing or emblemizing stuff he died to redeem me from. And when it comes down to our entertainment, and look, I don't want to walk around and check everybody's history on your YouTube or whatever, but here's my point. When it comes down to our entertainment, what are you, what are you getting entertained by? Is it stuff that he, re- he died, his, he shed his blood to pay for? We got to get that shifted around. What are you putting in your ears? You know... <laughs> There's all sorts of stuff that if you put it in your ears, you're just entertaining yourself. You're engaging your heart and your mind with things that put Jesus on the cross. We need to get that changed up. Amen. This is about the breastplate of righteousness. Look, I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm I'm trying to teach you how to fight the devil. All right? And we can't if we don't love truth and if we're living compromised. It's not going to work. 
you can't fight somebody that you're inviting in. Y'all starting to feel me now. We can't fight something off that we're actually inviting. So then he goes and he says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I got to get going. Um, This is about being ready at all times to share the truth of Jesus. And there's something about you being willing to share Jesus wherever you go that it, it repels the enemy. It, you're anchored on, so the, the, the feet, those, those, those boots that those guys had, they had these, they had these like spikes that anchored them. When, you, when you're anchored, you're, you're much harder to fight, right? And so Paul's point is you're anchored in being on the gospel side, being on Jesus' side. And, and I think it's about this, that in situations, like maybe you go to work and maybe everybody there is carnal and maybe it's just dark. Do you put Jesus in your pocket in that environment? You know, like, do you hide who you are because it's unpopular? Now, now the other side is, are you an arrogant, brash, egotistical Christian? Telling everybody they're in sin and they're all going to hell? Like, that's not Jesus either. That's a lot of you being insecure about who Jesus is. I know because that's how I, I used to be. I used to think I had to defend Jesus everywhere. I have to defend Jesus. Jesus is king. He doesn't need me as a bodyguard. That's a bad day if I'm your bodyguard. No, he's way stronger than that. He doesn't need me to defend him. He just wants to shine right through me. My son, I won't say which one, had a, had a, a situation where at his job, he just was, you know, surrounded with a lot of people that don't know the Lord, but he just made a decision, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to compromise And when they asked him why, he said, well, I just love Jesus. And yeah, he took a little flack for it. But he lived day in and day out at his job, just not compromising, just not compromising, just not compromising. Well, what ends up happening is one of his managers ends up uh, giving his life to the Lord. And he's left that job now. But here's what happened. The manager said, hey, man, can I keep in contact with you? Listen, he goes, because the fact that you didn't compromise, it spoke more loudly to me than anything and he goes, I just want to be around somebody like you. Can we have lunch like every month or every couple months? And they've been having lunch ever since he left that job over a year and a half ago. It's, I mean, this is about having your feet shod with the gospel of peace. I'm on, the, I'm on Jesus' side. I'm on Jesus' team. And if that means you're going to shout me down and think I'm a hater and all the stuff, then so be it. But I'm here to bring light and peace. I'm here to bring love and I'm here to shine Jesus. And when you do that, it has a powerful, a powerful effect on the atmosphere where you're at. Amen. Kids at Christian schools, I just noticed that they, instead of, so often at Christian schools, instead of who can shine the brightest for Jesus, it's who can compromise the most without like completely denying Jesus. I've seen this trend in Christian schools. And if, 
if the Christian kids at Christian schools, if a few of them would say, my feet are shod with the gospel of peace and I am not compromising, I'm pursuing righteousness and I'm living by truth, it would flip those schools, I'm convinced. All right, verse 16, he says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the adversary. That verse is so familiar that I think we've completely lost the power of what that verse says. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the adversary. Did that just say faith can extinguish every fiery dart of the enemy? Take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the adversary, of the wicked one. I mean, I think that I, I was reading that in preparation for this uh, teaching and, and looking at the last couple of weeks. I was like, I don't think I actually, I don't think I even believe that verse. Because it literally says faith will quench every attack of the enemy. Faith. And then I started going, well, how does faith quench all the fiery darts of the enemy? I was just like, what is that? And I realized it's this. It's being completely reliant on Jesus when the assault starts coming. I'm not looking for some other means to stop the enemy. I'm not trying to think my way out of this. I'm not trying to get counseled out of this. Now, sometimes we need to think, be thoughtful. Sometimes we need to get counseled. I'm not saying don't ever do that. I'm just saying that I'm looking to Jesus to get me through this thing. That Jesus is my answer. His blood is the answer. That his word is more powerful and his name is above every name. And that Jesus is the one that's going to stop every attack of the enemy. And if I'll stay anchored in believing in Jesus, this fiery dart will be extinguished. And it's taking that position that my Faith engaged in Jesus and hanging on to Jesus no matter what is going to stop this attack. And I just, I just can't emphasize this enough that so often believers start getting hit and they start blaming God when he said you're going to have fiery trials and attacks. But he said believe in me through it and the, the darts will be extinguished. But instead, when we're getting hit, we're getting hit. We go, God, what's your deal? And he says, anchor to me in faith, and the fiery dart will be extinguished. But instead, when we're getting hit so often, we turn and we, we blame God. And guess what happens in that moment? We get in line with the enemy because he's the accuser of the brethren, and he's the accuser of God. So then we turn and he's weaponized us against ourselves, and we're accusing God instead of using faith to shut the attack down. Come on. Amen. Guys, listen, some of us are getting hit. I know what I'm talking about. I've gotten hit a lot. And, and there's been those moments where I turn, I go, God, what are you doing? He goes, it's not me shooting you. I'm not the one with the fiery darts. Now stay anchored to me, son. 
Stay connected to me, son. Believe in me, son. Believe my word, son. Believe in the power of the blood. Believe in the cross. Come to me again, son. Stay with me. And those fiery darts will be extinguished. Faith is a shield that will extinguish all the fiery darts of the adversary. The helmet of salvation. The helmet is the hope of salvation. It's what he says in 1 Thessalonians. What's he talking about there? The helmet as a hope of salvation. He's talking about living in this age looking towards your reward, looking toward the fulfillment of your faith, living like Abraham, the father of our faith, lived where he looked for the city whose builder and maker was God. So he was able to go through all the challenges that he experienced in this life. As a helmet over your mind, it's the hope of salvation. The fact that I'm not living for this age, I'm not living for this place, that my reward isn't here, and that my comfort on this side isn't the main point, that there is a city whose builder and maker is God, and he's redeemed me because I have an eternal home and an eternal inheritance, and what I'm going through right now, I'm just passing through. This is a momentary light affliction that's working for me a far more eternal and exceeding weight of glory. Am I making sense? That's what keeps my head right. It's on my head. It's, it's the helmet on my mind. It keeps my head right because I'm not looking necessarily for just what I can get right here and right now. I'm looking for the eternity that he's promised me. That's how Abraham lived. It's how all the saints lived. And then he says, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And I'll end there. Praying always with all prayer. We could talk about that a lot. We try to do that. But this sword of the Spirit. Now, we all know when Satan himself came to Jesus and approached Jesus and tempted Jesus, Jesus did not. Oh, just hang for me. Hang, 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 hang. Thanks. I just have to start rushing as soon as you start playing. and I Let me get it out. Um, when, when the enemy came and, and attacked Jesus, of course, he came and attacked his mind with lies. We'll talk about this a lot more next week. Jesus didn't answer with an opinion. He didn't try to outthink the devil. He didn't try to logicalize his way out of it. Well, you really couldn't make me, you know, go to the top of a, the, the temple. There's no way you could do that. I mean, he didn't try to, like, rationalize and discuss this thing. He only answered with the word. Guys, this isn't just a good Bible teaching. I'll just tell you, there's been times when the darkness that has come on my mind has been what felt to me as unbearable. Where my wife, and I'm telling her what's hitting, and my wife is in tears because what's hitting my mind is so intense. And we go to prayer, and Holy Spirit rises up on the inside of me, and the only thing that's coming out of my mouth is Bible verses. And then the attack begins to subside. The word, 
I'm telling you, it is your weapon to absolutely destroy the enemy's attack on your mind. But if you do not speak it, you are keeping your sword in its sheath. And you are sitting there going, I will fight you. And you've got nothing. And I'm telling you, there's got to be a place where we actually get serious about this thing and recognize that the enemy is not getting, he's not just going to go, oh, you guys are praying for revival? That's great. I really hope that happens too. No, he's going to come to attack, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. You, you take some ground, and guess what the enemy does? He comes and he contests that ground. This is when you swing the sword. This is when you speak the word. you got to get it in your heart so you can speak it out of your mouth. You've got to be able to utilize this thing. You gotta, you've got to get your mind and your heart and your opinion all coalesced in an agreement with the word. Listen, the newscast and your news feed and the story on Instagram or TikTok is not going to enable you to overcome the works of the devil. It's going to be the word. Speaking the truth of the word is critical. And I looked at this uh, fresh, and it says, the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. And I had made some notes years ago, and I, and I wrote in my notes, the sword that the spirit wields is the word of God. That Holy Spirit himself is wielding the word. He's just wanting you to get into agreement with it. It's so interesting to me how we've made the word over here and the spirit over here, but the word is the sword of the spirit. It's the most spiritual thing there is. It's the most prophetic thing there is. It's the most powerful thing there is. And if Holy Spirit, if he came in swinging a sword, it would be the Bible. He would be swinging the word of God. And so when you speak it, guess what's going on? Holy Spirit is swinging it with you. This is how we have to recognize what we've been given and the lifestyle that we're going to choose to live. I, I can't think that I'm going to be able to repel the enemy if I've not gone ahead and anchored the truth, pursued righteousness, you know, got my mind right because about where I'm going, anchored to faith in Jesus. And if I'm not going to swing the sword, if I'm not going to use the word, there's, I don't... There's no, there's no way I'm winning if I won't at least employ that stuff. But if I will employ that stuff, the words are so powerful. Quench all the fiery darts. That's what I need in my life. Amen. And that's what we all need. All right, next week, I'm going to talk about how he comes at our minds. I'm going to talk about the wiles, the schemes, the devices, how he tries to entrap we're, I think next week is going to help a lot of us because I think for the first time you might see how the enemy has been taking ground in your mind and you didn't even realize it. And you're going to be empowered to be able to deal with that and get that out and get things shifted in your mind. That's going to be next week. Don't miss it, okay? All right, let's stand. I want us right now to just engage with the Lord 
and step in to this 